Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Part 2, Episode 13, Making History, 1933. At the start of 1933, the board of Third Church of Christ Scientist Seattle appointed Eileen Ruth Gormley as a committee of one to write a history of their branch church. They had initially selected Frank H. Plum, who had served as first reader in 1918 when their building project began, but he declined. Their new appointee had only been a member of Third Church for a few weeks when she became the church historian, and at only 20 years old, she was quite young for this important assignment, but she had proven her skills. She was a journalism student at the University of Washington, a senior, and quite an outstanding and capable one. She was an editor for the campus newspaper, the University of Washington Daily, editor for the university yearbook, Taiyi, and president of the journalism sorority, Theta Sigma Phi. A local newspaper referred to her as Pretty Girl Reporter. Friends and family called her Buddy. The board at Third Church referred to her as Miss Gormley. The Gormley family had been adherents of Christian science since 1917, when Eileen's mother, Helen, was in great fear for her children because of an epidemic of infantile paralysis. Her mother also suffered from an unusual, painful condition from exposure to chemical fumes that impaired her vision and hearing and involved loss of taste and smell, a chronic ailment for which she had exhausted medical treatment and given up on home remedies. Mrs. Gormley remembered hearing from a friend about healings people had experienced by reading a book. She contacted a Christian scientist, borrowed a copy of Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy, and read it with the expectation that it would solve her problems. The book answered every question she had about God and man. Since childhood, she had been plagued by nightmares of fearful, fiery images of Judgment Day and the end of the world that stemmed from her religious upbringing, but no longer. She described the experience of reading the book as returning home to harmony after long and unhappy wandering. She said she felt the presence of divine love releasing her from bonds of fear. She later testified of having many instantaneous healings by applying the teachings in the book and letting go of material ways. From that point forward, Christian science was the only physician needed for herself and her children. She stopped restricting her children out of fear and instead allowed them freedom of thought and action. Eileen expressed her new freedom through activities that often put her name in the news during her college years, 
including her efforts as Taiyi editor to save the 32-year-old campus yearbook from possible extinction, her adventures as girl reporter, a campaign for student body president, and a publicity stunt using a horse-drawn buggy. She also chose to become involved at Third Church as a member. Gormley's church assignment was to write something of the inception of interest in Christian science which led up to the formation of the church. The names of early students and practitioners of Christian science and important or interesting events or incidents with as many specifics as possible, and all this in 500 to 1,000 words. For her research, she could draw from meeting minutes and other historical records in the church's files and interview members who had been involved with the founding of the church and the building project. She was to submit a draft to the board for review. Once approved, Copies signed by all the board members would become official record. One copy would be sent to the Mother Church, one to the Committee on Publication for Washington, and one kept for the records of Third Church. Gormley would be paid $15 for her efforts. The board of directors of the Mother Church had requested that branch churches send them historical sketches and photographs of their church edifices. People who had ever had personal contact with Mary Baker Eddy were asked to write their reminiscences and share any letters they had received from Mrs. Eddy. In 1933, it had been nearly 70 years since the Christian Science Movement began. The directors noted that in any movement, the pioneers may not even be aware that they are making history, and consequently many events go unrecorded. Nothing is done for the preservation of historical data for history's sake. This was also true for Christian science. But now, although the movement was still young, it was time to start thinking about preserving its history for future generations. Eddie herself had expressed the need for Christian science history when she wrote, Three quarters of a century hence, when the children of today are the elders of the 20th century, it will be interesting to have not only a record of the inclination given their own thoughts in the latter half of the 19th century, but also a registry of the rise of the mercury in the glass of the world's opinion. It will then be instructive to turn backward the telescope of that advanced age with its lenses of more spiritual mentality indicating the gain of intellectual momentum on the early footsteps of Christian science as planted in the pathway of this generation. The Mother Church now wanted as complete a historical file as possible relating to the growth of our movement and to the life of Mrs. Eddy. Explaining the goal, the Boston officials stated, What is known to the world as the Christian Science Movement began in 1867, when our leader, Mrs. Eddy, taught her first pupil. A definite impetus was given it when she gathered her students in 1875 to 1876 into the Christian Scientist Association, and again in 1879 when she organized her church. 
The movement has since been expanding year by year, but its history is still unwritten. Although a mass of contributory material has been collected and awaits the historian whose hand and pen will collate, evaluate, and record it. Other religious denominations have voluminous historical writings compiled at various stages of their development, which have been of immense value to the religious world. In order that present and future generations may have an authoritative record of the genesis and growth of Christian science, it seems expedient that an important measure which has been under consideration for some time should now be inaugurated. The Christian Science Board of Directors, therefore, announces the establishment of a Bureau of History and Statistics, in whose charge will be placed the great amount of data and information now in hand and that which may be hereafter gathered. From this will be prepared a series of historical and statistical writings that will in time be invaluable for reference and information to the student, the inquirer, and the general public. The duties of the editor of this work will call for unusual qualities of lucidity of expression and extended experience in research, combined with keen appreciation of historical values and personal familiarity with events in our movement. In May 1932, the directors put Judge Clifford P. Smith in charge of the Mother Church archives. He was assisted by, among others, Lucia C. Warren, who had been involved since 1907 in historic preservation of documents related to Eddie. In June, the first request for Branch Church histories was sent out. Many more reminders were made over the next year, clarifying what they wanted and why. Helen Andrews Nixon wrote an article for the Christian Science Journal called Historical Sketches, in which she explained that they wanted more than simple chronicling of names, dates, and events. They wanted narratives. Ms. Nixon pointed to the historical sketch of the Mother Church written by Eddie for the church manual, and also a statement by Eddie in an address from 1888. Christian science and Christian scientists will, must, have a history. And if I could write the history, in poor parody on Tennyson's grand verse, it would read thus. Traitors to the right of them, M.D.'s to the left of them, priestcraft in front of them, volleyed and thundered, into the jaws of hate, out through the doors of love, on to the blessed above, marched the one hundred. The guidelines from the Mother Church encouraged the oldest branch church in each city to include the early history of Christian science in the region. In Seattle, that responsibility belonged to the Capitol Hill branch. The board at First Church appointed a committee of three distinguished members, Christian science teachers John E. Plater and Edith S. Alexander, and Christian science practitioner Harriet Morton Armstrong, widow of Christian science teacher Alan H. Armstrong. These three were all familiar with the progress of the Christian science movement in Seattle, 
and therefore were in a position to most effectively record the early happenings of the church. Mrs. Alexander had joined First Church in 1903, Mr. Plater in 1907, and Mrs. Armstrong in 1908. Armstrong's late husband, Allen, joined First Church in 1899. Prior to her becoming a Christian science practitioner in 1907, she had worked as a stenographer. She was appointed recording secretary for the historical committee. They had decades of events to cover, beginning in 1899 when Mary Baker Eddy sent her student, Julia Field King, to establish the Christian Science Healing Practice in Seattle. There were many names of early practitioners and teachers to include, and many locations for services before they had a building of their own. The Historical Committee also included mention of all the other branch churches that formed from the overflow of their church's growth. Their initial report exceeded the 1,000-word limit, the board asked them to edit it down for the mother church, but kept the longer version for their own church files. The members of this historical committee were all rewarded for their efforts with copies of the professional photographs of the church edifice taken to send to the mother church. At Fourth Church, Adela S. Hawley was appointed church historian. Mrs. Hawley had been actively involved in Christian science in Seattle since 1901. She was a charter member of Fourth Church, one of the 39 members who withdrew from First Church in June 1909 after its move from downtown to Capitol Hill after a disagreement over the approach of the building project. One of several members who had personally met with the board of First Church to submit the group letter of withdrawal. Hawley apparently deemed the dramatic inception of Fourth Church important enough to describe the events surrounding their withdrawal in detail in the historical sketch, while only the briefest of information on their building project was included. Seventh Church had already written a history of its early years. Charles A. Griffith who had written a one-page history in 1926 during its building project, was appointed to update and expand it for the Boston Archives. Mr. Griffith had been involved in Christian Science Church activities in Seattle since about 1907. He was instrumental in the building project for First Church. And when Seventh Church formed in 1920, he was elected first reader. Griffith read his history report aloud to all the members of Seventh Church at a business meeting. Even Eleventh Church, the newly incorporated church in the Green Lake District, submitted a historical sketch. Theirs was written by a committee of three women, Ida M. Freeberg, Christine Waltersdorf, and Edith Richardson. Having only five years to cover, they included colorful details in their narrative, including a story about a gift bag of pennies, nickels, and dimes from a grateful visitor that became the nucleus of their building fund. They described the furnishings in their new sidewalk-level reading room and mentioned their recent acquisition of a bargain-price building lot. 
in a separate document for their church records, they wrote a detailed narrative on the selection process for their lot and the many complications they had faced in acquiring it. What the Seattle branch churches were doing to record their history was also being done all over the world, wherever there were Christian science churches. Meanwhile, in Boston, the Mother Church was undertaking its own efforts to record Christian science history. Mr. Smith had already proven his ability to use historical documents to defend and promote Christian science. He had a career in law, including a position as a judge, prior to becoming a Christian science practitioner, lecturer, and teacher. He had served as general manager of the Committee on Publication for 15 years. In this capacity, he had written several items on legal defense for the healing practice of Christian science. During a factional dispute, he used historical documents, published writings, and previously unpublished letters to make the case for the expressed intention of Mrs. Eddy for the permanency of the Mother Church beyond her lifetime, something being publicly questioned at the time by a disgruntled former church official, John V. Didimore, who had been involved in the lawsuit between the board of directors of the Mother Church and the trustees of the Christian Science Publishing Society, part of which was later dubbed the Great Litigation. Smith, as head of the new history department, put the newly collected reminiscences, letters, and branch church historical sketches to immediate use. Responding to recently published and forthcoming books critical of Christian Science, its founder, and the Christian Science Board of Directors, including one by Mr. Didimore. A commentator for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer called Didimore's book an ill-timed blast against Christian science at a time when a despairing world was too much in need of the undoubted good in every church these days for religious intolerance. The Christian Science Committees on Publication had concluded that the circulation of constructive and informative statements about Christian science and its activities is probably the best way to correct any impositions on the public. The Mother Church Archives provided a new resource for writing such constructive and informative statements. While previously serving as editor of the Christian Science Periodicals, in 1930, Smith had promoted an independent biography of Eddy by the Reverend Dr. Lyman P. Powell, an Episcopal clergyman, self-described as one who was neither her disciple nor her enemy. Dr. Powell had been given access to the Mother Church archives, and consequently, according to Smith, had become better informed about Mrs. Eddy than any other person who is not affiliated with her church. Thus equipped, he has endeavored to paint a realistic portrait of her. Powell presented the world with facts instead of fiction, comprehension instead of misconstruction. In his introduction, Powell described what he found in the archives. More than 8,000 letters 
mostly written in Eddie's own hand, carefully preserved in a moisture-proof and temperature-controlled vault. He explained the importance of having access to these records. To attempt to do a biography of Mary Baker Eddy without steeping the mind in this material would seem as futile as to attempt a biography of George Washington without recourse to the Library of Congress and the 14 volumes of letters edited by Ford and containing the recollections of Washington's friends. As much as he appreciated having been given the opportunity, however, Powell did not steep his mind in the archival materials very long. The Powell biography, Mary Baker Eddy, A Life-Size Portrait, was written quickly over a six-month period. It would be decades longer before a thorough biography was written, drawing fully on the archives. Smith put the archival material to use through a series of articles in the Christian Science Journal, beginning with the May 1933 issue. He also used records collected by Mary Beecher Longyear, who began in 1915 to collect documents and artifacts, solicit reminiscences of those who knew Eddie, and preserve landmark buildings where significant events in Christian science history had taken place, and founded the Longyear Museum, a nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation of the history of Christian science. Smith had a significant personal relationship with Eddie. He was given the privilege of rendering particular services under her direction. But instead of writing a memoir, he took a scholarly approach, quoting from and citing previously published sources. He also drew from the Branch Church historical sketches to write articles on Christian science activity in the British Isles and Germany. Smith's immensely popular historical and biographical papers were republished by the Christian Science Publishing Society in booklet form in 1934, with a second series in 1936, later combined into one book called Historical Sketches from the Life of Mary Baker Eddy and the History of Christian Science. By 1937, according to a report from the History Department at Annual Meeting of the Mother Church, the number of letters in their archives written by Eddy or her secretaries under her direction had grown to about 12,000. Archivists were also preserving draft manuscripts of Eddie's published writings and addresses, reminiscences, books from her personal library, and historical data on the movement. They even kept records of disbanded early Christian science organizations, which they believed still served as waymarks in the history of Christian science, showing Eddie's foresight and fearlessness in letting go of the old in order to take a more progressive and spiritual step, thus proving her words, progress is born of experience. Church employees had created comprehensive indexes of this great and vastly important storehouse of information, which they expected would continue to be drawn on by Smith 
for more history articles and answering correspondence, by the Christian Science Board of Directors to support their work, and by other church departments as needed to verify historical facts. Christian Science Sentinel articles began occasionally quoting from Eddy's unpublished letters, citing historical files of the Mother Church. Miriam E. Loveland, who gave a report for the Bureau of History at annual meeting, described the church archives as a monument to one of the most outstanding religious leaders in the history of the world. The first results bore witness to Eddie's statement on biography. I briefly declare that nothing has occurred in my life's experience, which, if correctly narrated and understood, could injure me, and not a little is already reported on the good accomplished therein, the self-sacrifice, etc., that has distinguished all my working years. During this period of historical retrospection, other Christian scientists began writing biographies on Eddy. Christian science teacher Irving C. Tomlinson began writing a book of his reminiscences of living at various times in Eddie's household and working closely with her over a period of 12 years. Julia Michael Johnston, a Christian science teacher in New York, began writing an inspirational appreciation of Eddie's life. A biography written specifically for a British audience by Christian science teacher E. Mary Ramsey in Scotland was adapted for an American audience. A volume of recent photographs of places closely associated with Eddie was assembled by photographer Richard Southall Grant and published as Landmarks for Christian Scientists from Bow to Boston. All these, the Powell biography and others later written, would be offered for sale at Christian Science reading rooms throughout the world, along with Sybil Wilbur's 1908 independent biography, which was already in the Christian Science Publishing Society distribution catalog. Branch church committees made special efforts to place the Wilbur and Powell biographies in public libraries and bookstores. Many Christian scientists wrote letters to the Sentinel expressing gratitude for being able to learn more about their leader through biography. It gave them a deeper appreciation for Eddie's mission. Normally, Christian scientists turned to Eddie's writings for healing. However, a testifier from the Seattle area claimed to experience instantaneous healing while reading Tomlinson's memoir. The generation of Christian scientists that had grown up after Eddie's lifetime now had the opportunity to learn about the founding of their religion and the development of their church organization. They were also enlisted in the process of writing Christian science history. Now each branch of the Mother Church had a historical file in the archive, and the new history department would periodically call for updated information and photographs. Another way history was being preserved at this time was by binding loose issues of the Christian Science periodicals into books. 
branch churches were creating sets of bound volumes of the Christian Science Journal and Sentinel as reference libraries for their reading rooms, boardrooms, and committee offices. Throughout the 1930s, there was a big focus on building special bookcases for these sets, establishing routines for collecting and binding issues, finding missing volumes to complete their sets, and creating indexes for the contents. Branch churches often cooperated on creating indexes and traded or sold extra loose issues and bound volumes between them. Third Church in Seattle even bound the Christian Science Monitor weekly magazine section. The newspaper's color section started in January 1934. The magazine insert was devoted to a broad and comprehensive review of world affairs as a new way of fulfilling the Monitor's mission to bless all mankind. Through discriminating, incisive, constructive dissemination and analysis which they hoped would be helpful to all thinkers in the world laboring for equity and peace. Third Church kept the Monitor magazine bound volumes in its Monitor committee office. One question that arose among the membership at Third Church was whether to include the Journal and Sentinel issues between March 1920 and February 1922, in their bound volume sets. This was the period of litigation, when the Christian Science periodicals were under the control of the Publishing Society trustees, who were in conflict with the Mother Church directors over interpretation of the church manual. The Seattle branch churches had united in siding with the Mother Church and had boycotted the periodicals until they were under the control of the church directors. It was up for a vote by the full membership body as to whether to preserve the record from those years and make them available to the public through the bound volumes in their reading room. Their clerk asked the directors of the Mother Church if they kept volumes from that period in their reading room in Boston. They did. And the reply letter was read aloud at a third church membership meeting. After this there was no need to take a formal vote on the motion to add the missing volumes to their set. It carried by common consent. By 1933, there were 50 years of Christian science periodicals to preserve. The year marked major anniversaries for two of them. The 50-year anniversary of the Christian Science Journal, the first periodical founded by Eddie, was commemorated in a journal article by Smith describing the events surrounding its launch on April 14, 1883. The 25th anniversary of the Christian Science Monitor was commemorated in more public ways through creative outreach projects by joint church committees. Christian scientists had much to celebrate and an engaging story to share with the world. The Monitor's very existence was something of a marvel. The directors, trustees, and editors initially in charge of it had minimal, if any, previous experience with the newspaper business, and Eddie gave them only three months for the giant task of starting up the operation, which involved hiring and training staff, purchasing a printing press, 
and constructing a building to hold the printing press, which required first demolishing a block of apartment buildings. Yet they accomplished in those three months, in 1908, what to an experienced newspaper man decades later seemed a total impossibility. The first issue rolled off the press right on schedule on November 25, 1908, the day before the Thanksgiving holiday. The fact that the Monitor survived the divisive litigation period was also something of a marvel. Newspaper circulation, which had grown to more than 123,000 by the end of the World War, plummeted to 17,500 as Christian scientists loyal to the Mother Church canceled their subscriptions. The Monitor staff was decimated. However, newspaper operations continued during the litigation with no interruption. Circulation recovered after the lawsuit was settled and by 1929 had rebounded to 130,000. Even more marvelous was that in the midst of the economic depression, the newspaper was still going strong, even expanding its operations with the new color magazine section and reaching new readers through its 25th anniversary activities. The highest-profile commemoration of the progress of Christian science was at the 1933 Chicago World's Fair. The fair, which was a centennial celebration of the founding of the city of Chicago, called the Century of Progress Exposition, had a forward-looking theme intended to highlight the progress of science as applied to industry. For Christian scientists, the Expo highlighted the progress of Christian science as applied to humanity. Forty years earlier, Christian science had been featured at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair through an interfaith event series called the World's Parliament of Religions. In 1933, the journal described the high-profile 1893 events as marking a most important epoch in the history and progress of our cause, even a landmark in that it made Mrs. Eddy and her teachings better known and more respected, and gave courage and inspiration to the Christian scientists themselves. Likewise, the journal hailed the Christian science activities at the 1933 exposition as marking a new epoch for their movement. The Monitor held a prominent position at the fair, as did Mary Baker Eddy. The National Council of Women hosted a Women's Hall of Fame exhibit in the Hall of Social Science, at which they featured the 12 women who have made the most valuable contribution to American progress during the past hundred years, as determined through a poll of more than 120,000 American women. Not only did Eddie make the top 12, she was at the top of the list. Her book, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, was featured by the National Council of Women as among the 100 best books of the century, one of only three religious books on the list. According to historian Norman Beasley, in 1925, the Christian Science textbook had been second only to the Bible as the most widely read book in the English language. The Monitor had its own pavilion, 
cooperatively organized by the more than 100 Christian Science churches in the state of Illinois, with additional financial support from churches in eight nearby states. The pavilion, which was on a large and excellently situated site near the center of the fairgrounds that was donated by the fair officials, was described by the journal as standing as a witness to the influence of Christian science in journalism. The one-story building, 50 feet square, was designed in the Art Deco style that was the standard of the exposition. Although more simple than others, and it also had two ionic columns, reminiscent of the neoclassical style so prevalent in Christian science churches in that era. The pavilion featured the editorial, advertising, and circulation activities of the International Daily Newspaper. The story behind the monitor was shared through a documentary film illustrating the newspaper's worldwide organization, its printing in Boston, and its constructive news policy. An Art Deco mural covered the upper interior walls, artistically expressing similar themes. The Monitor Pavilion also included a Christian Science reading room. It was staffed by attendants most carefully selected for their fitness to such duties, and they were assisted by volunteers coming, for the most part, from the Christian Science Churches of Chicago and its suburbs. All who worked there stood daily in the presence of the world as living examples of Christian science. On opening day, the exhibit was seen by more than 7,000 visitors. On closing day, 18,000. Then the expo was extended to the following summer. In total, more than 900,000 people came to the Monitor Pavilion at the Chicago World's Fair. The Sentinel reported, In spite of such a large attendance, there has been preserved a sense of order, quiet, and peace among the workers and visitors alike. Numerous cases of healing have been reported from those who have visited the pavilion or reading room. Perhaps most significant was overcoming of prejudice, of the dispelling of misconceptions about Christian science and its newspaper achieved through the Monitor Pavilion. Another Christian science activity at the World's Fair was a simple, dignified, and attractive 16-foot square space in the Hall of Religions, exhibiting the writings of Eddy and the Christian Science periodicals and other literature. This sales booth was organized by the Mother Church with the cooperation of the Illinois branch churches. While not quite as well attended as the Monitor Pavilion, visitors totaled 300,000, the activity contributed to general optimism for the future of Christian science as a religion. The Sentinel reported, To those who feel that interest in religion is waning, it may be significant to learn that about 10,000 people pass through the Hall of Religion and examine the various religious exhibits daily. It is reported that a large number of young people enter the Christian science booth and earnestly read some of the texts displayed in the cases or on the walls. Two Christian science lectures were given in the Hall of Religion Auditorium by Christian science teacher Professor Herman S. Herring to full audiences. 
The chairman of the executive committee for the Christian Science Activities at the fair, overseeing it all in a masterly way, was Harold Moulter, a Christian science practitioner in Chicago who became a Christian science teacher 10 years later. Despite all the successes of the Chicago Fair activities, as Mr. Moulter and other participants watched the stream of humanity pass unceasingly through or past our exhibits, they realized, as never before, the vast amount of work still to be done and are reminded of our responsibility and opportunity, as articulated by Eddie. A Christian scientist occupies the place at this period of which Jesus spoke to his disciples when he said, Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let us watch, work, and pray that this salt lose not its saltness, and that this light be not hid but radiate and glow into noontide glory. Perhaps inspired by the many articles on the Chicago Expo in the Sentinel, there was also a monitor pavilion later that summer at the World's Grain Exhibition, held for several weeks in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, organized by First Church of Christ Sinus Regina and cooperatively supported by the churches of Western Canada. At least one more monitor exhibit later that year established this kind of activity as a new trend for outreach. Timed for the Thanksgiving week anniversary of the first issue of the monitor, there was an exhibit in Seattle featuring the special commemorative progress edition. The Seattle branch churches hosted their monitor exhibit at the Washington Athletic Club on Union Street at 6th Avenue. The Athletic Club building was only a few years old, but it had already become a home away from home for Seattle's who's who in business, political, and social circles. During the week of Thanksgiving from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily, the contents of the Progress Week series of the Monitor were attractively presented on posters and in scrapbooks, in special groupings, with the international aspect predominating. The exhibit was illuminated with specially installed spotlights, including a sidewalk window display. The Progress Edition was advertised in local newspapers as a triumph in daily journalism, 76 pages of fine rotogravure inserts in six issues, recording 25 years of progressive achievement in every line of human endeavor, together with vivid accounts of current events throughout the world. In this series, the Monitor used the high-quality rotogravure printing process for the first time. It was dedicated to telling in picture and story the progress of the Christian science movement and the Monitor, including the construction of the new publishing house. The series also included reprints of all the pages from the first issue that was published on November 25, 1908. The Progress Edition section included a full-page advertisement with images of civic buildings and parks in Seattle that had been developed during the 25 years of operation of the Christian Science Monitor. 
Fifty years ago, Seattle was a gangling sawmill town. Today it is a world port, serving a rich hinterland and sending ships to Alaska, the Orient, the Atlantic coast, the world. All the pageantry of its noble skyline has been achieved during the last 25 years. Those who share in the progress edition of the Christian Science Monitor through the contribution of this page rejoice in this development and because of these qualities of community endeavor which has resulted in the gracious institutions pictured here for all this progress, both of structure and substance. The readers of the Christian Science Monitor residing here are appreciative and gratefully contribute this page. The Seattle advertisement, which directed potential visitors to the Seattle Chamber of Commerce, was created and funded by local Christian scientists. It was yet another joint activity of the Seattle churches. Initiated by Fourth Church, their congregation was requested to stay after the Wednesday testimony meeting on October 31st to hear an announcement about the Seattle page and make financial contributions. Members of the other branch churches were invited to Fourth Church for a meeting on November 21st. The ad was expensive and apparently done with very short lead time. To encourage broad participation, the Monitor Advertising Committee was given special permission by church boards to contact church members by telephone. Despite the committee's best efforts, however, it took many more months and more joint church meetings after it was published before the ad was fully paid for. But Seattle Christian scientists succeeded in making a unique mark on history. To illustrate the far reach of these history-making activities, the Sentinel published a letter expressing special appreciation for the Monitor Progress Edition from Nine Islands near New Zealand, 300 miles from our nearest neighbor, and only a very tiny speck in the Pacific, saying, we still get all the best of the world's news, thanks to the Monitor. The Chicago World's Fair, the 25th anniversary of the Monitor, and the Hall of Fame recognition of Mary Baker Eddy, gave the Christian Science Committees on Publication opportunity for positive public relations, resulting in news of the publishing house appearing in many hundreds of newspapers in many languages, including in South Africa, in Afrikaans, and in Egypt, in Arabic. Similar to what had been done for the George Washington Bicentenary, in honor of the 12 most influential women selected by the National Council of Women, a memorial grove of 12 trees was planted on the grounds of Southern Methodist University in Dallas, each marked with bronze plaques, for which the board of directors of the Mother Church gladly shipped a maple sapling from the girlhood home of Eddie in Bow, New Hampshire. Eddie and her followers had made history. Christian science influence was starting to become more visible in American society and held more prominence. Mary Baker Eddy's church and its branches that had taken root around the world had only begun to grow.
Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.